0: Well, once again, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. This is my friend, Charlie McCurry. In just a minute, we're going to tell you a little bit about something that this church has been involved in for the last, well, going on seven years now, the place we affectionately call Four Corners India. Just before we start that, though, last week, we began an initiative in this church called Reverse Advent. So many of you are here, you know that our kids and our middle school and high school environments are involved in that, but if you weren't here, on your way out the door today, just very quickly, you can pick up uh, right by our front doors these pieces of paper. There's some instructions for reverse Advent where we're going to be giving some small things away between 10 and 12 bucks. There's a box for you to take by the door. And if you're an adult who doesn't have children or you're a middle schooler or a high school in the room today, there's an Advent reading guide that goes along, Bible verses you can read every day and a couple questions. If you have kids by the door, Well, there's a devotional guide that looks like this. So if you weren't here last week, just pick those up. You're smart. You can read the paper and figure out what we're doing. Today, I want to talk with you, though, about Four Corners India. So in Kerala, India, which is on the southwest side of that very populated country, it's it's a jungle-ish area. There's some mountains. All around that area are resorts. And the resorts kind of hide the fact that that area is rife with poverty and difficulty and abandoned kids. And right in the middle of that resort area, we've built a bit of a resort ourselves here at Four Corners Church over the last seven years. We've built a church building. Before we built this building, we built them a building. Before um, we had our home, we helped them have a home. We expanded an orphanage that was started by a guy by the name of Pastor James John. And right now, just below 50 kids or so have been um, cared for. Their food, education, clothes, and their shelter have been paid for by this church. And Charlie, in about six years or so, we've given over $100,000 to this organization. And there are pictures scrolling on the screen as we're talking. But some people may not know that this really began not just as a church movement. It wasn't my idea. It was the Lord's, and the Lord put something on your heart. Before we jump into the story, would you tell us a little bit about you, how you ended up in this place, and then I want you to tell us all the story of India.
1: Sure. Uh, it, it's uh, it all started in a little radio station, 500 watts in Otumwa, Iowa. Isn't that how you start your stories? You know. Sometimes. <laughs> okay, yes, okay. Yeah. It, didn't. Had, it didn't. I had never <laughs> heard that before. I was like, really? I didn't no, know I grew that. up in South Carolina. Can okay. we can we take a minute to talk about Clemson Tigers? Or, or that's <laughs> we're, it's, we're talking about joy, right? Joy. Okay. And that brings but, you great joy. Okay. Okay. But. Uh, no, what, what are we? No. We're uh, talking about India yeah, and how got you got, it. got okay. here. it. Uh, <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. And I tried to look that up. Is that a scripture or is that just something we No, see?
0: that's a Johnny Cash song.
1: Okay. All right. But anyway. So
0: it's close to scripture. <laughs> but it's but not I couldn't. Scripture.
1: I Googled it. I, could, I was going to quote yeah. scripture. I'm Baptist. You have to quote scripture when yeah. you start. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. He does. And all one needs is an open heart and let me be very quick to say the open heart was not mine, it was my wife's. I came along a little later to the party. But in 2006, she uh, returned uh, from a long stint as a missionary to the island of Saipan, which is just a little dot near Guam. Unless you're a World War II buff, you would never have heard of Saipan. But when she returned and then realized that I'd made our house look like a uh, college dorm room once she redid all that. And she said a simple prayer, what's next? And not, I want to do this, God, will you help me? What's next? And in the Christmas of 2006, she and several of her friends put together shoe boxes for Samaritan's Purse. I'm sure most of you are familiar with that, and if you've been here a while, you've heard the whole story, but some of you maybe haven't. Samaritan's Purse is run by Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, and he asks people to put together literally shoe boxes with items that they specify, that they, uh, both hygiene items and simple toys and things that they will deliver to children, poor children somewhere in the world. Uh, and they're very careful that the people who put the boxes together don't know where they go, and the people who receive them don't know from where they came. But they do ask each person to put a $5 check in each shoebox to cover the expenses of the charity. The check's made out to Samaritan's Purse. They take the check out. And I've talked to several people who work for the organization, and they said, for several reasons, we make sure, we go through the box with a fine-tooth comb, the check, never stays in the box. Well, some of those went to Pastor James John, caring for about a dozen girls in a hut with a dirt floor because of the um, situation in some countries where children without, there's no safety net. Children without, sorry, without a male to earn money are lost, they're on the streets. So if their father has abandoned them or died, there's no safety net. Some of the boxes went to them. In one of those boxes, there was a $5 check made out to Samaritan's Purse, which had not been removed. Return address was on it. James started communicating with Kathy, and she and those ladies started sending them gifts, things they'd made, uh, Barbie dolls, uh, simple toys and things. And then a couple of years later, Kathy and I decided to start sending them money. Then the fall of 2009, I met with Ben and told the story about this. His heart was moved and that first Christmas that we were involved as a church, we sent them enough money to build a church of their own. And as Ben had mentioned, before we had one, uh, before we had this building, we built another one.
0: Yeah, that's a picture of the building we built. And what you can't tell is underneath there is the original hut, hut that James and his wife and his 12 girls were in. And that may seem very difficult for us, but it was better than anything they had. I don't know if you know, but in India, there's a practice. It's not Official, But it happens often called gendercide, that if you are unfortunate in that culture to be born a woman, um, a lot of times just for that reason alone, you're abandoned, often um, killed. In fact, one of the orphans in the home was rescued by Pastor James as the family was about to drown the little girl in the river. And James, gra- or one of James' helpers grabbed her. There she is. Little, there little, she is right there. Yeah. And uh, so that's just sad. And uh, what, what's her name? Hannah. That's Hannah. And so um, what happened is is we had been as a church mobile uh, for eight years, set up and tear down to various degrees, and it was heavy on my heart to get us in a place, and that ultimately became this building that we're in right here. We're very fortunate and grateful for this. But um, in the meantime, Charlie came to me and he said, hey, look, you know, I'm a part of this church. I support the church, but I want you to know that a big part of my heart isn't here, and a good portion of our money goes overseas, and I just want to tell you that story. And while he was talking, and uh, those of you that are here, you know this. I don't say this phrase often, but the Lord touched my heart. Um, I, I would, I'm comfortable saying he spoke to me. Um, and that's very rare for me to say. Um, I'm always jealous of pastors you hear from the Lord all the time, like daily. They have conversations and stuff. Doesn't happen to me. Um, but the Lord spoke to my heart and um, said, pay attention. Like, literally, lean in here. This is not for Charlie and his wife. This is for you. And um, very quickly, within 10, 15 minutes, I said to Charlie, hey, um, this is not an accident. We're having this conversation. We're going to move forward on this. And our church rallied. And I think, Charlie, uh, don't let me speak wrong, but I think we raised $10,000 that first year for India, if I'm not mistaken. A twelve, I think it was. It was twelve? But $12,000 $12, U.S. built that church. Yeah, and there's a picture of the construction on the front of the little packet that looks like this, that was on your seat, somewhere right near the bottom on the right-hand side. You can see them building that. And, um, and it, it was really, really cool. Well, that knit our hearts together, and over the years, we started doing expansion projects for them. Um, we expanded the girls' dorm. We help them replace an asbestos roof, which is very dangerous, with a, a solid concrete roof and expand the size of the girls' dorm. And there's a picture of that girls' dorm, again, right near the bottom here. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility and, and very large and um, we bought the girls uh, all new mattresses. They were laying on straw, literally straw, covered with fabric. We bought them all mattresses. We dug a deep water well. We um, cleaned up one of the buildings on the campus and made it usable as, an, as a widow's home. Um, we put a security... Uh, building a security wall around the entire campus as well because it's a very dangerous area for Christians. They're in the one percent minority and there's just a lot of fighting there. And so our hearts have been knit to them. And about three years ago, um, we started doing a thing called sponsorships. Charlie, tell us a little bit about how these things work.
1: Yes, uh, much like uh, Compassion International or Save the Children or or many organizations that you hear about on TV or, or wherever where One sends a certain amount of money each month and you are sponsoring a specific child and you build a relationship with that child. We started such a movement here. There are now 51 children, and I, I say children for lack of a better term, children and young people. Let me be quick to say we have three college graduates, girls who were homeless. 10 or 15 years ago. All three of them are nurses. Can I say that again? College yes. graduates. Awesome. Uh, and Charlie, that was paid for largely by people in this church who- Yes, sponsored Kicked in
0: and paid for the tuition above and beyond just the basic care for right. these young
1: ladies. We have six now in college, but f- over 50 families in this church give graciously of their hearts, their prayers, they write letters to their child. What was lacking with the corporate sponsorship and with just my wife and me, now each child has a family here. We have now, Chinju is married. And uh, we, we, I joke, you know, in the newsletter I send to each, each month to the sponsors, the Halpins, her uh, sponsor, are the proud parents of a bride now in India. And, you know, it's, uh, uh,
0: you know. And and people here jumped in and paid for that wedding because they're just very different customs here. And So if there's not money, there's no wedding. And so people came together and and made that happen here. And God just has knit our hearts together deeply.
1: Yes, and and each each child is sponsored. Some that are in college have two sponsors to share the cost. Uh, There are 10 boys who... uh, were living in a rented home, the, the government in India does not give them any money or support, but they certainly give them regulation and inspection, and because it was a rented facility, uh, they said they can't stay here. So the next big project, they are now in individual homes, each of them, still being sponsored and helped by their sponsors here at Four Corners, but in those individual homes now. Uh, the next big project, and it's big, is to get the boys back they must build a building on site. And so uh, there's always a need. And in addition to the children, there are approximately 20 satellite churches meeting in homes. Uh, James sent me an email uh, just last week where 10 of those village churches, I will call them in the jungle, got together, they're in the same province, and had a baptism service, baptizing 14 souls. It's, it, it's, it goes on and on. And in the church that we helped build, pay for it, well, we paid for it, we didn't build it, uh, they meet once a month, those 20 pastors. And, and they pray all night. They fast and pray all night. I have never done either for 24 hours and, and don't intend to. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they come together and James
0: basically is a pastor to pastors and this yes. regional impact in this place. Um, and we're just fortunate to be a part of it. So this year, a big portion of the My Christmas Gift, we're calling it Seeds of Change, is we're going to plant seed, ongoing seed into India. And we're gonna help James with $10,000 again this year of, of the 80 or so that we're trying to raise here. It's one of four major initiatives we're funding. And um, we're asking God to take the money and make it go very, very far. There is the beginning of the boy's home. There are these other churches that they're trying to establish. Some of the, uh, the, the jungle churches, if you will, are, are larger now than the homes can sustain. And so there's need for buildings there. And the need is always great. And so corporately, we're going to come together and do more than any one of us could do alone, and we're going to continue our sponsorship. Thank you, parents, for that. We'll talk about that in the new year. If you want to renew for a year, if you can't do that, it is okay to say, I can't continue. Charlie, we have a waiting
1: list of a dozen. About a dozen families on the waiting list to, to sponsor a child or a young person.
0: Friends, and- that, that's a big deal. Um, God blesses generosity like that. His heart is for the orphan and the fatherless. And uh, sometimes people are like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? How do you want to be involved? What's your will? And one of the ways that you begin to answer what God's will for you is, is you just go where God's already working and you show up there where God's already at work, where his heart is already at, we show up there and we just get involved. And as we do these things, God begins to reveal more of himself to us. And uh, somehow, and I don't understand all the mechanics of it, but the, the windows of heaven open and blessing gets rained down. And sometimes that blessing is material, but often it's, it's an immaterial blessing of being a part of the, of the move of God in this world. And I, I, I want to be careful because I, I do not like pastors given to hyperbole, all right? So I wanna be very careful here, but it is not an exaggeration to say to you that when many of us get to heaven, you're gonna meet people whose lives were literally changed because of you writing a check. A sponsorship is 40 bucks. That's less than many of us spend on a meal when we go out with our family. One meal it's 40 bucks a month and it covers every expense that this, this kid has. And uh, so it doesn't feel like a lot, but it is huge. And for some of you, you'll write a check this Christmas, and it'll help this place and a couple of other endeavors. And a good portion of it will go to India. And you literally will meet people whose lives were changed because of what you've done. These 20 churches that are serving the jungle area there in Kerala and are under the umbrella of James's ministry and his care for them and the support of them, um, they, they received Bibles because of us. We have pictures, you'll see some of these over the few weeks, of Bibles being passed out that our church paid for. The Word of God going out. I can't say it strongly enough. This is a really big deal, and we would never want to raise money just for us and forget the other things God is doing. It's kind of a discipline. It's okay for us to say we need to do work here as well, but we never wanna do that to the exclusion of what God's doing out there. It's the Christian balance in life. Charlie, as you pray, I'm going to put you on the spot. I didn't give you any prep for this question. As you pray and think about India, um, what are you asking God to do? What are you hoping happens over the next 12 months and and 10 years? Just
1: tell us a little bit about your heart on this. Okay, sure. As we've mentioned, the need is is so great. It's, uh, if you will allow me. Uh, you ask a question. Not my notes, isn't it? I just want to put them in my pocket. You know, <laughs> but, uh, the. Uh, if, I'm, I'm a historian of sorts. That's my hobby. And if you know the miracle at Dunkirk from World War II, again,
0: none, none of us know that. Okay, tell us about the miracle. You what don't? I don't. A couple okay. people do. Tell okay. Us
1: about uh, Dunkirk is on the coast of France, just south of Belgium. Before the U.S. was involved in World War II. Uh, the the Nazis had cornered 300,000 Belgian, French, and British troops on the beach at Dunkirk. The most powerful navy in Europe, the British Navy, was helpless because the shoreline was so shallow they could only get within about two miles of the shore. So that was going to be the end of the war in Europe. They were trapped. They had nowhere to go. The people of London found out about this, and I'll speak in hyperbole, Authors say every rowboat, sailboat, garbage boat, fireboat in London headed across the English Channel for Dunkirk. Again, this isn't true, but they say you could walk across the English Channel without getting your feet wet. You know, 900 private boats, one fireboat whose job was just to travel up and down the Thames River said, we got to go. And the firemen in the boat took off, and they got out in the English Channel and realized they didn't have a compass, so they had to go back to the (laughs) hardware store and get a compass, and then they took off again. Uh, And the Luftwaffe was bombing them all the time, private citizens. 300,000 people, soldiers were saved by private citizens in their little boats. One fellow had a kayak that lived in Dunkirk. And he went and got one guy at a time and took them out to the, to the ship. What's my point? There are millions of children in India with no home, living on the streets. They either die or if their girls end up in the sex trade. We can't save the millions, but we can be one rowboat. We can save the 50, and it will grow because of us. I, my dream, my hope, but God may have a different plan, is that someday the money is raised to build a home for the boys that meets the government regulations there on the campus. Again, we're not gonna save 10 million, but, but, but we've got one boat here and we're doing our little part.
0: Charlie, that, that's wonderful. I wanna um, say thank you to you for being obedient. Um, Thank you for leading us as a congregation and your leadership here. It's a big deal that we get to be a part of what God's doing in the world, and we don't get to do it without people like you responding by taking your step and then just being faithful and obedient, and I'm very grateful for that. What I'd like for us to do is I'd like us to bow our heads and pray for Pastor James John. He's leading that whole thing over there, and pray for the work of God in that place. Would you join me in prayer? Father... We are grateful that we get to be a part out of the abundance that you have blessed us with. We get to give a portion of that and we get to literally change lives. I can't, I can't fathom God, the joy in your heart as a father to these orphan children that you have when you see your great family around the world gather. God, we don't do it for any other reason. Then we love you, and we love them. Thank you, Father, for the love in this place that reaches literally halfway around the world. God, take our gifts, our offering, our heart. Multiply it for your good purposes in these lives, these young boys and girls. God, we pray that they would grow up not with just their physical needs met, but with the spiritual needs that they have as they learn the gospel, as they sit in church, as they open the Bibles that we have given them, and they read about your truth your son Jesus we pray God that you would grip their hearts so deeply that they would be a light wherever you would send them and that your word and your mission and your cause would go forth thank you for letting us be a part of that thank you for Charlie for every family here who is a part of this God thank you for what you're going to do and this offering that we're raising over these next several weeks we give it to you and ask you to bless it in Jesus name amen Amen. Charlie, thank you. Would you guys have me say thank you to Charlie for his leadership? He made an old guy tear up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Love you, bro. Uh,
0: Hey, one more time as you exit today, pick up that reverse Advent stuff. If you have a kid, it looks like this. If you are an adult or with a high school student, it looks like this. And then there are some instructions there as well. And you can pick up a box. Today, I'd like you to grab your Bible or your phone and turn with me to Philippians chapter Uh, 2, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to park there today as we continue our joy message series. If you want to find out more about our Christmas offering on the back of the handout where the message notes are on the inside, you can read a little bit more about that. If you want to know when you can begin giving, you can begin giving today. Write Christmas on your check or when you go to the kiosk or online, there's a line that says Christmas. Just put your amount in there and we'd like for everybody in the church who calls this place home to be a part of it. I'll start giving you updates pretty soon about all that. All right, let's talk about conflict a little bit, all right? Let's talk about conflict. I don't know about you, but the thing that can sap my joy quicker than anything else is conflict. When there are people I care about, people I like, and we're not quite getting along, it literally has a dramatic impact on the joy in my life. And you know this if you're married. You know all the hope and the ambition and the excitement you had when you joined together, when you started dating, when you asked her to marry you, you got together and you came together in wedlock and you know what it's like when you have seen wedlock become deadlock. Have you, have you experienced that? Have you experienced any of that? One man said he went to the justice of the peace to get married. And after the fact, he had neither justice nor peace. That's exactly what I'm talking about. There's... There's incredible difficulty just in living life with other people who have different ideas, different values, different perspective, different history, and you bring two people together in a marriage or a group of people together in a business or a handful of people together even on a sports team for only 90 minutes at a time, and trying to work in unity is very difficult because conflict is always there. I bet you, I bet you for most of us in the room, over the last four days as you began the holiday season in earnest and maybe met with family and friends friends for Thanksgiving, I bet you that there was a moment or two that conflict began to rear its ugly head. I'm just guessing. That would be normal. It would be normal. But I don't know if you understand this or not. The Bible talks to us about joy in such a way, joy that is available to followers of God, that even in conflict, joy can be present. Even when people aren't fully meshed together, when they're not walking in unity, joy can be present. Now, when there's conflict, little's accomplished, little gets done. A business team that isn't walking in unity, very little gets done. A family that's not walking in unity, very little gets done. The joy isn't there naturally. But from the passage today, we're going to discover some of the things that for the Apostle Paul produced joy and how he encouraged people to live with joy. Now what I wanna do, I don't normally do this, is I wanna read to you the first eight verses of chapter two of Philippians, and then I want us to break down a couple of the individual parts in the notes there that are provided for you. So here's how the passage begins. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so he's talking to followers of Jesus now, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and any compassion If any of these things are present, then make my joy complete. He's talking as a father who loves this group of people at the church in Philippi. I'd like for you to make my joy complete. I'd like for you to go all the way. Don't keep the little bit, but go all the way. And here's how you do it. You're like-minded. That talks about unity. Having the same love, being one in spirit, unity again. And one in mind. So here's how you make your joy complete for a loving father who cares for his congregation and the Apostle Paul. You act as one. You get together in unity. You move toward a common goal together. And then he says these words that are going to be our parking place for today. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he's going to describe Jesus's mindset. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is a powerful Christmas passage for us to look at as we're approaching the Christmas season. The reason we're doing reverse Advent is as we are anticipating all the implications of what it means for Jesus to have come into the world, for him to have broken into time and space. And here, the apostle Paul tells us in poetic language, what that was like, that Jesus didn't think so much of himself that he was unwilling to put on human flesh and come and be among us. And because of that, that mindset, he accomplished all that God wanted him to do. And what God wanted him to do was to give his life, even give it fully unto death and the death on a cross. Well, what does that mean for all of us? Well, packed in these passages are a handful of phrases I think will help us keep our joy buckets full even as we encounter conflict. I think there are spiritual nuggets and truth in this passage that if you'll listen, be receptive to them, they'll help you when you have conflict with family, when you have conflict at your work when you have conflict with your friends. Even in this case, as Paul was writing, conflict in a church. So here's a handful of things we're gonna discuss. Five key things that I think we can keep in mind right from this passage that I think will help us when when conflict begins to rear its ugly head. Our hope here is to keep our joy buckets full all the way through the season. We wanna be able to sing joy to the world and still have joy in our own lives at the same time. So here's number one, you can fill in the blank there. You want to keep your joy bucket full. Here's one thing I want to encourage you to do. Look for signs that competition is surfacing. Wherever competition is surfacing, conflict is not far behind. Now, some competition's good. Some competition's very good. But competing between a husband and a wife for prominence in the relationship, that's not good. Some competition is very healthy, but competing between siblings, between who gets mom and dad's attention, not very healthy. Natural, understandable, not good. Some competition at your job is healthy, Competing between sales managers over, you know, getting the best numbers for the month, that's good. But competing can become detrimental and negative very quickly. And if you want to pay attention to your joy this holiday season, especially if there has been conflict close to you, one of the things you and I can do is look out for signs that competition is surfacing. Because when that happens, conflict often is not far behind. Here's how Paul mentioned this concept for us in our passage. Philippians chapter two, verse three says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. He had just said, make my joy complete, be like-minded, same love, one spirit, one mind. All right, there's the positive. Here's the negative then. If you wanna do all that, you can't do this. You can't do anything out of selfish ambition. Now there's a good ambition to have the ambition to make yourself better than you are today, to let God grow you, to learn more, to gain a skill, to pursue a degree, to work on a project, to advance yourself in business. That's all good. But again, it's easy for ambition to turn bad. The bad ambition, Paul calls it selfish ambition. This is bad in a marriage. This is bad in a family. It's bad among close friends when a selfish ambition makes it all about you and not about the joy you can have in somebody else as they win. This is a bad thing. You can see it easy in young kids as they fight over a toy, as they cheat to win a game, as they vie for their parents' attention. Sometimes, on occasion, you can see it in marriage. When we compete, with people, then they're not really on our team. Some of you are sports fans and you know how ugly it can get when one player on the team is consumed with, a, with an ego or a conceit. You've seen how an otherwise enjoyable game to watch or an after game set of interviews to watch are when one person's ego gets on, uh, out of check. I've had the fortune I should say, or maybe misfortune to, uh, to watch this sometimes happen in a marriage. Here's some phrases I've heard as I've helped people work through some marriage issues. Now, this is not a point to take note, okay? You do not want to copy this stuff. I heard one, one, one husband say about his spouse that he, he wished that he had a lower IQ so he could get along with his wife. That's not good, is it? One man said that, um, I used to think her chin was her best feature, but now it's a double feature. Yeah, not good. Don't don't write these down. One parent said that my spouse's parents, one wife said my spouse and my husband's parents wished that birth control could be retroactive. Not good. Not good. One wife said that her husband had the personality of a dial tone. I wrote that down. Literally the personality of a dial tone. You know, just not good. One guy said, "My wife can't cook at all. Literally, he said. Literally, Ben, I've used a piece of a cake she baked as a doorstop for three years. This is not stuff you want to share, all right? One, <laughs> this is a little funny. I'm sorry, but <laughs> one guy said that if to be married to you, um, I, I, once I married you, I realized how stupid I am." That's what he said to his wife. And his wife said, well, you should have known how stupid you were the moment you asked me and for me to say yes. They were just comparing how stupid they were with each other. A- ambition out of control can create incredible conflict. Here's, here, here's a, a little clue. When competition is surfacing, pay attention to conflict because it's often right on the heels. Now, James chapter four gives us these words. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? You want something and you don't get it. You want something and you don't get it. And competition and quarrels and fights happen. Different TV shows, different restaurants, different ways of doing things, And when you were a little kid and you fought with your brothers and sisters, that was normal, but you're adults now. And it's time for some of us to put away that negative competition, that selfish ambition, and be the adult that God has called us to be. Whenever you experience, competition, creeping up in a relationship. I need to be right. I need to show them that they're wrong. I need to be better. That creates a real potential for conflict, the kind of conflict that'll rob you of your joy bucket. So the first cause of conflict, I think that the Apostle Paul tells us to be careful about is right there on your notes, an almost universal innate tendency to be preoccupied with promoting ourselves. It's almost universal. It's always there in all of us. And some of us have learned how to, with God's help, keep some of that at bay. Now you can see this in other people, all of these traits. You can see in other people, but sometimes it's very difficult to see it in yourselves. So today's opportunity, as we walk through these other four things, is for you and I to look in the mirror and not see how the person next to us needs to respond, but how we might need to respond. So first of all, look out for signs that competition is surfacing. That's why Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's the motivation. Conflict is laying in wait for you. Number two, keep a watch out for conceit. Keep a watch out for conceit. Philippians chapter two, verse three, the second half of that verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know this Idea in the Bible that pride is a bad thing. Hundreds of verses on this. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 in your notes. Pride only breeds quarrels, the, the, the Bible says. Pride only, one, one passage says that, that pride goes before a fall. I have a friend who likes to say it this way, that if you get too big for your britches, eventually you're gonna be exposed in the end. Think about that. If you get too big for your britches, eventually you'll be exposed in the end. Again, think about that after football game interview when it was all about that player being interviewed. just puts a sour cloud over top of the entire game, the enjoyment that's supposed to come from that. When we have to... Be around people that we don't particularly enjoy when we're engaging relationships that sometimes are difficult for us. One of the ways we can keep our joy bucket filled and conflict at bay is to keep a watch out for our own pride and ego. There's a healthy ego and pride. And then there's an unhealthy ego and pride. There's an ego and pride that we take in who God is making us to be. A healthy ego and pride we take in who we are and how God has wired us and how we can use us. It's a healthy, robust self-esteem. That's all good. And then there's a negative side where it literally becomes this vain self-orientation that if we're not careful, it will run unchecked. So the second cause of conflict for us to think about is when we operate from personal pride, maybe sometimes we don't even realize we're doing that. That's where a close friend or a spouse can come to us and speak to us and say, hey, you may want to think about this. One of the most powerful passages in the Bible for a a teenager or for a college age person, a 20-something, at least it was for me. I'll just speak from my perspective, was the passage that said that the wounds of a friend are faithful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The, The idea here is that sometimes when people tell you things that are hard to hear, it hurts right now, but they help you in the end. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. They may hurt now, but they'll help you in the end. If you can't see your own pride, listen for how people around you that you love, who care for you, talk about you and talk to you. From their verbal clues, on occasion, you can get a sense of the attitude that is emanating from you, even when you're unaware of it yourself. This holiday season, you're gonna have an opportunity to interact with a lot of people. And for some of us, when we do that, our eyes are too close. I don't mean on our face, that looks strange, Right? But I mean our eyes, it's all about me, I, 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 over and over again. That's one clue that pride might be creeping up a little bit. When people are talking, our interest in their stories and in what's going on with them versus just what's going on with us is a part of the success factor of keeping our joy buckets filled and keeping conflict at bay. You have to keep an eye out for conceit. It's real easy to fall into the trap of me and mine. So Paul writes and says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition and be careful of vain conceit. Here's a third one I think a lot of us can relate to. If we want to keep our joy buckets filled and keep conflict low. I think that we can do better at verbalizing care more than we verbalize criticism. Verbalize care more than we verbalize criticism. There's a time and a place for criticism. Criticism is helpful. Feedback is your friend. It's good. The feedback you give is faithful and helpful to the people you love. But it's very important in the relationships that we have, if we want to keep conflict at bay, that we spend just as much time verbalizing the care that we have for people as we do verbalizing criticism. You might be sitting next to somebody right now who's very good at finding what's wrong. That can be tough over time if there isn't an equal corollary verbalization of the care there. So in Philippians chapter 2, again, verse 3, in humility, value others better than yourselves. That doesn't mean to see them as superior, but it does mean to elevate them. Elevate them. Value others better than yourselves. See the value in them. Take moments when you make it about them and what's good in them. It's been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And you can put in parentheses there, often. Think of yourself less often. Now, many of you know the story in the New Testament of Jesus with the 10 lepers. Jesus was walking along the road. He comes upon 10 lepers and he has compassion on them and he heals them all. And these people who had been outcasts of society, couldn't interact with people, couldn't spend holidays with their family because they were unclean. Jesus heals them and encourages them to run off and to go share with the priests that they're clean so they can reengage society. And off they go, the 10 go. But The Bible says that one of them comes back and expresses to Jesus gratitude for the healing that had been provided for all of them. Now, here's what's interesting about that story. It reveals the fact I'm trying to make right now. That I bet you all 10 of those lepers felt gratitude. But only one took time to express the gratitude. You understand, the Bible doesn't tell us to feel thankful. It tells us to express our gratitude. That's the same principle I'm trying to make here. That it's not just about feeling care for your husband, for your wife, for your kid, for your coworkers, But an expression of care helps keep conflict low and joy high. So our third cause of conflict I want you to think about is the failure to express value for other people, especially when you really do value them. I've sat in my office with husbands and, and wives, and they, they have expressed deep care for one another because they're in my office because of often some, some conflict. And when one partner expresses to the other deep care, The second part often looks at them with surprise, like, really, you really feel that way? What they're saying is, is, what you're saying to me up until this point is out of sync with what you're saying right now. And Often, the difference between a loving and joyful marriage and family isn't that there needs to be less criticism. Sometimes there are real things to work on. Often what it is is there simply isn't enough verbalized care. This holiday season, we have an opportunity to get in line with what God is doing in the world. And one of the ways we can do that is we can verbalize the care we feel for the people around us more. Ask yourself this question. Would you like it? Would you like it if the people you're doing life with would on occasion just stop and express care for you? That they value you? I don't mean in a pitiful kind of way like you're their project. You're my project, and today I have four things I have to do. One of them is express care for you. Hey, you're really an awesome person. Check, see you next week. I don't mean like that at all. I mean just, would it feel better, would you enjoy life more, if the people near you that you're doing life with were to verbalize care for you a little better than they do? All right, so if that's true for you, then one of the ways you can live this value is, if that's what you want, do that for the people around you. It can actually be contagious. But when we fail to express value for others, especially if we feel it, what happens is, is we set a climate for conflict to thrive. But where care is expressed, it's almost like a fire suppression system that keeps conflict at bay. Number four. One of the things that the Apostle Paul uh, uh, asks us to do right here is to genuinely consider the other person's perspective. The truth is, is we don't often pay attention to other people's needs. We've been down this road a hundred times. We already know how it's going to go. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now that word looking there is the Greek word skopos. We get the word scope from it. Some of you went hunting recently and you looked through a scope. You zeroed in, you honed in, you got them into focus. That's what Paul's asking us to do. Focus on the interest of other people. Do this in such a way. And when you genuinely consider the other perspective that's coming to the table, especially in conflict, when you really listen to what they're trying to say, conflict goes down. And interestingly enough, your own joy has the opportunity to rise. This is just about being considerate. I've watched people argue. I've had the same experience where they each knew what the other was going to say before it was said. And so they just talk. And they're not really listening. And the conversation doesn't go anywhere. If you want to see conflict drop in your life with somebody you care for, genuinely consider their perspective. And it begins with simple listening listening to understand the point. Some of us make the mistake and we think that if I listen to understand, that means that somehow I agree with them. It means that somehow I'm giving that opinion validity. But do you understand you can listen and you can understand their point without ever agreeing with anything they said? And often what happens is conflict drops just when we listen. So First Peter, by the way, husbands, chapter three, verse seven. Husbands, in the same way, Be considerate as you live with your wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I keep coming back to this. There's something powerful that happens, husbands, when we listen, when we consider our spouse. God does something spiritually for us. He opens us up. There are barriers that are removed that it makes our prayers more effective. You pray about your business. One of the ways to make your prayers about your business more effective is to be considerate with your wife. That's what this passage tells us. You pray about your dreams. One of the ways to make your dreams more real as you prayerfully engage God in them is to be considerate as you engage your spouse. So a fourth cause of conflict for us is insensitivity to the other person's needs. It's amazing what happens when you just pause to understand somebody else. I bet you that for many of us in the room, this holiday season, probably in the last few days, we had a conversation where we wished the other person would have just listened a little bit more. Wouldn't it have been nice if they had listened just a little more to understand, not necessarily to agree, just to understand what you were trying to say. Well, if that's a value you would like to have experienced, imagine if you could bring that value to the relationships you have, to just listen a little more and to actually consider what they're saying. It costs you nothing to listen to somebody else than a little bit of time and a little bit of emotion. But that what you bring to the table, the return you get out of that is exponentially positive. If your joy bucket is a little low this holiday season because of conflict, perhaps number four, genuinely considering the other person's needs, letting them know that you're thinking about it, that you're willing to listen and engage could go a long way. Here's a fifth way the Apostle Paul tells us to do this. It's the one that really is the most important, even though I might spend the least amount of time on it. He he calls us to grow as a disciple in order to have the mind of Christ. He wants us to, as followers of of Jesus, to have the mind of Christ. To think about it the way Christ would think about it. To engage it the way Christ would engage it. This is nothing more than our growth as a disciple. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and then he goes into all that kind of christmasy language even though he was god he didn't think so much of himself that he was unwilling to put on human flesh And he condescended to become a servant. And when Paul used that word servant in Philippians, every Roman reader leaned in because one-fifth the population of Rome were servants. Nobody wanted to be a servant. Most of them got that way because of debt in their lives. And none of them wanted to be there. But Paul said that Jesus chose to become a servant. Nobody would choose to do that. And so the word image for them created dissonance. They were listening with rabid Interest in what Paul was writing at this point when he said Jesus chose to become a servant. And I want you to have that mindset as well. That you choose, so you have freedom, to choose to serve. Look at these opportunities, at, these, at this conflict, as opportunities to serve the person that you're in conflict with. How do I serve their needs? How do I help them understand that I'm trying to walk as a disciple, that I want to be in this moment Jesus to them. And the truth is, is that for most of us, our conflict, much of it, not all of it, much of it comes because our thinking has not been renewed by Christ. We haven't grown enough as a disciple to see that in our relationships, that's where our maturity spiritually shows up most of all. So walking in unity together is a big deal spiritually. Living the fruit of the Spirit is a big deal spiritually. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity and peace. Wouldn't that be nice as you engage your family this year? Well, if that's what you want, make every effort. Make every effort. Some of it depends on God. Pray. And some of it, the truth is, it depends on you. So you present yourself as a disciple who's teachable and willing to learn. This is what Paul encourages the Philippian church to do, to come willing and open and teachable. So when he writes, this is the mind of Christ, what he's calling us to do is to do our best to be renewed by God's spirit. In one place in the book of Romans, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, in verse 1, he gives a powerful word picture. He says, I encourage all of you, my brothers and sisters, don't be conformed to the way the world is acting, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you can prove what is a good and acceptable and pleasing will of God for your life. And then in verse 2, he talks about the renewal of the mind that has to come. And it could be, I'm just going to throw this out, that for some of us, our thinking is not as fully matured as God would like for it to be. What if this holiday season, even as you're engaging family and you're buying gifts and you're doing all the stuff that's required, what if this also became a season of your growth as a disciple? That the mind of Christ was more formed in you. That your thinking was renewed It's one of the reasons, and I'm not putting guilt on here, but it's one of the reasons why God asks us to regularly go to his word. So that while we're engaging the world, we have these moments of quiet where God's truth speaks loudly into our life. It's why we're doing reverse Advent. So that in a world that is all about receiving, we can give a bit. And we read the devotional so that the truth of God's word can speak into our lives. I'm just telling you from my personal experience, when the conflict quotient in my life is high, I need more of God's Word. And when I have more of God's Word in my life, I'm able to handle the conflict that comes, the conflict that comes out of me, the conflict that comes to me. I'm able to handle the conflict that comes much better when I'm regularly engaged in God's Word. I've never sat down with a family, a couple, who was having marriage problems where both husband and wife were actively engaged and reading God's Word. It's never happened. It's not a cure-all, but something positive happens when we open our hearts, open our thinking, and we say, God, I'm going to take in your Word. Would you renew me? Would you make me more into the image of your Son Jesus, would you help me to think the way Jesus thinks? Would you help me to see my husband the way Jesus sees my husband? Would you help me see my nephew the way Jesus helps me see my nephew? Would you help me see my neighbor the way Jesus sees my neighbor? Would you want me to think about them the way Jesus thinks about them? And you let the word of God begin to chip away at the hardness, the blindness, the ignorance. When he does that, we begin to grow up as disciples. Jesus came into this world. We celebrated at Christmas or Advent, not just so that we could have eternal life, but so that our joy here and now could also be made complete. And that can't happen, friends, if you and I aren't growing as disciples. And it's almost impossible to grow as a disciple at any speed at all without regularly engaging God's Word. And so we've given you some tools to do that. Again, I get no brownie points if you read the Bible. But I will tell you, your joy will be made more complete if you'll go to God's word with a teachable and humble spirit. Because what he'll do is he'll change your thinking. And even if the circumstances around you don't change, you'll see them differently. And even if your spouse doesn't change, you'll see her differently or him differently. And even if your kids aren't changing, you'll see them differently as God molds and shapes you. And while you can't always control the conflict out there, often you can't. You can control with God's help and the renewing of your mind by his spirit. You can control how it lands in here. And that's the part that is the seat of our joy. I've known people who had no reason to be joyful. And yet you talk to them and they were a ray of sunshine. I've sat with people who were dying of cancer, had days, literally hours to live, and they were full of joy. I've sat with people whose kids were running crazy, and they were concerned, but they had a joy that was unquenchable in the middle of it. God had somehow renewed their mind, and they looked at the world differently than most of us typically look at it. So, just as a review, look for signs that competition is surfacing, conflict is right, right behind. Keep a watch on your own conceit. Make make care or, or make make certain that you verbalize care more than you're verbalizing criticism. Genuinely listen and consider the other perspective and do what you can to put yourself on a growth track as a disciple in order to have more of the mind of Christ. And I'm just telling you, watch your joy bucket fill up, even as sometimes conflict increases as well. You'll have joy even in the middle of conflict. All right, with those things said, let's grab out our Connect cards and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I wonder if today, as I've been talking to followers of Jesus about the life that God has for us. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If that's true, I'd like for you to take your pen and check next step A. It says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. It's not something that you do as much as it's something that you receive. God loved the world, so he gave his son. We believe that, and when we believe that, we receive the life that he has for us. If you'd like to make Jesus your Savior and Lord today, would you check the box and put the card in the offering bucket as it comes by at the end of our service? Or perhaps today you'd like to be baptized. If you'd like to be baptized, celebrating new life with Christ, would you check it? If you have a question about it, check it. Put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by. Make sure we can read your email really legibly on that. And we'll communicate with you about that. Or next step C says that, hey, I'm gonna read Ephesians chapter two, verse one through eight. Each morning, This week, to renew my mind and to invite God into the conflict in my life. So those eight verses I've read, you've got it right there on your card. Just take your card home. Or if you check it, I'll send it to you. Take that card home and just read it and say, God, would you teach me through this set of passages? Would you make my mind to be like the mind of Christ, who didn't think so highly of himself, that he was unwilling to serve those that he came to be with in this world? How about Next Step D? Who would say, hey, Ben, you can count me in for the Meet the Pastor next week. If you are a guest around here and you'd like to meet some of the staff, I'd like to meet you. If you'll check this box, we'll invite you to an event we're having next week on Sunday morning during both services. And we'll get to answer any questions you have, introduce you to the ministries of this church, tell you a little about where we're going. We'd love to meet you. If I haven't had a chance to get to know you a little bit, check this, and we'll get to meet each other next week. You just show up at your normal time. The email we send you will tell you everything. There's childcare. You'll you'll enjoy this time, and I'd enjoy getting to meet you. How about next step E? Who would say, "Hey Ben, you can count on me. You can depend on me to help make my Christmas gift 2016 that offering that we were talking about uh, a success. It will impact people here, near and far, here at our church." in this greater community and around the world. Just check that. And over the next few weeks, begin to give into that offering. Let's pray about these things right now before we take communion together as one big family in God. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave His life. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your life for us. God, some of us in the room right now, we're putting our trust in you. We're believing you. And we want to receive the life that you have for us. We're declaring, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Wash away my sin. Cleanse me by your shed blood. I trust in you, your death and resurrection to secure a pathway to a relationship with you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray, God, that the mind of Christ would be our mind, that we would grow as disciples, those that have been walking for 50 years or for five minutes, we would grow as disciples and the mind of Christ would be our mind. I pray, Lord, that even in the conflict that comes to us or the conflict that comes out of us, you would show us through these words in your word how to have joy, how to press into all that you have for us. God, I wanna take a moment and just lift up those kids in India right now. God, by your spirit that knows no boundaries, time, nor space, would you touch their lives? God, would you encourage their spirits? Would you let them know how much you love them? Fathers, we join as a family right now to celebrate communion. I pray, Lord, that the broken parts of our body would be made whole. The broken parts of our lives would be made whole broken parts of our spirits and our emotions would be made whole as we take in the bread that represents your broken body Lord. I pray that as we come together as one family in unity and we share from a common cup that not only would our individual sins be covered by your blood but our corporate sins that God you would bless our work here and every fault every imperfection would be covered by your grace We ask, God, that you would nourish our souls as we celebrate your death and resurrection through communion. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.